Uh, during the Middle Ages, in order to uh, increase, further empower the church, there was a sacrament that was created. And this was a sacrament known as the Sacrament of Holy Orders. And it was a papal sacrament that was intended to divide uh, the work that was done in society. It divided the work of, of those who did religious work, quote-unquote, and those who did secular work. It divided categories. Work was divided into two categories. You were either in the religious work or you were in the secular work. Individuals that went into careers such as bishops or priests or deacons or monks or nuns or whatever it may be, they were defined as part of that, that holy order. Holy, of course, meaning to be set apart, to be, to be different, to be elevated in some manner. In time, language, of course, began to develop when describing individuals that went to work in these types of fields. And that language became embraced by all of Christendom, really. We embrace it even within our church, within our Christian faith and, and worldview. They spoke of, and we speak of, people that enter into full-time ministry. We describe the motivation of, of people that, uh, that, that leads a person into full-time ministry as a calling. So if you're part of the clergy or, or work for the church, you are in full-time ministry or, or you are called in some way. When I receive uh, inquiries about going uh, to pastor or to serve in some other ministry place, I speak of such engagements in this way. If I'm talking to a friend or I'm talking to Christina, I'll say, oh, I received a call to go, and then I'll say whatever that may be. If you've been around the church for enough years, you know that when I say I received a call, I'm not speaking of a phone call, right? You understand that. This is, this is something different and special. There's this call. If Christina, on the other hand, is talking to me about a job opportunity in her career field, she would say, I received an offer to go work at, and she'll say the place. One is a calling, and one is a job offer. When a pastor goes to explore the call that is being offered, inevitably someone on the search committee, oftentimes it's laypersons on the search committee, someone will ask you, well, what made you decide to go into full-time ministry? If I were to turn around and to ask that person, well, what made you decide to go into full-time ministry? They would think I was being smart or sarcastic in some way because they would say, well, I'm not in full-time ministry. They would define what I do as full-time ministry and what they do as not. But is the way we speak of calling and full-time ministry biblical? Is it, a, is it biblical that we've created these walls of, of separation between secular work and religious work. One is a calling, one is a job offer. One is full-time ministry, one is will I go and do ministry when I go to church or when I volunteer in this area or that area. That's what we're going to talk about today, and I want to ask you to open up your Bibles with me to Exodus chapter 31, and we'll beginning, be beginning in verse 1, Exodus chapter 31. And while you're turning there, there's this quote by uh, Mark Twain. Mark Twain said once, the two most important days in a person's life are the day in which they were born 
and the day they figure out why. There might be people in here that still don't know why they were born. What is, what is my purpose? And maybe your purpose is something that you are already doing, but you've not been taught that it is just a real purpose as what I do or what someone who teaches does or what someone who works in the church does. Exodus chapter 31, and we'll begin in verse 1. The Lord said to Moses, and it's been read already by Mark, and we appreciate that. He was filling in for the Reese's. They did not just not show up. They had some car issues there. Blew a tire, so pray for them. That's why they were not here. They're getting, uh, they're on the side of the road somewhere, so we pray that they're being taken care of now. The Lord said to Moses, verse 1, See, I have called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, and I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with ability and intelligence, with knowledge and all craftsmanship, to devise artistic designs, to work in gold, silver, and bronze, in cutting stones for setting, and in carving wood, to work in every craft. And behold, I have appointed with him Oholiab, the son of Ahisamach, of the tribe of Dan, and I have given to all able men ability that they may make all that I have commanded you. On this day, Bezalel, Oholiab, and all those able men, maybe they discovered their why for being born. The why were they born. And maybe to their surprise, and and definitely to our surprise within our modern culture, their work, their vocation, the things that they did day in and day out was also their calling from God. I believe this truth to be so, and it's one that we have ignored and we've stamped down probably too much. Your vocation, your vocation should be just as much of a calling as my vocation. And your vocation should be just as much of a, of a, it should be described as full-time ministry just as much as mine is described as full-time ministry. And we should get rid of the language and the practices within our body of faith that teaches otherwise, that teaches somehow this group is holier than that group or this calling is holier than that calling. Martin Luther's movement in bringing the Protestant Reformation into full force sought to tear down the walls that had been created between the holy order of the sacraments and every other kind of vocation. He sought to, to, to tear those walls down, that there, was, there wasn't a, a work that some did for God and every other kind of work was not for God. He wanted to, to get rid of that. And Martin Luther said this, God is milking the cows through the vocation of the milkmaid. Through our hands, God answers the prayers of his children. We pray for daily bread at night, and bakers rise in the morning to bake it. The same holds for clothing. God gives the wool, but not without our labor. If it is on the sheep, it makes no garment. Humans must shear, card, and spin. Through our work, the naked are clothed, the hungry fed, the sick healed. Through our work, we please our maker and love our neighbor. Luther said, All of this can be a calling and a work for God. All of this can be a full-time ministry for God. From my understanding of Luther's doctrine on vocation, he would define all work simply because it is work as a calling. Simply by it being a work and something you are called into, he would would automatically define that as a calling. For instance, he he writes in in, in some of his other writings, he writes, if you are called 
to be a soldier and to fight, then surely God's hand has killed your enemy just as sure as it is your own hand. So he expands it beyond what I would be comfortable going with. I don't believe simply because we have a work that it is automatically a calling. In fact, Calvin came along and kind of expanded on some of Luther's ideas and, and, and modified them. And he too saw that God put people in all different kinds of callings. But Calvin also spoke of, to use his words, how sin distorts the structures of our work. So he saw that, yes, everyone should be called into a calling, but, but sin distorts the structures of our work. And even if you were to read chapter 31, you read chapter 31, and you see that these craftsmen, it says all the able men, all the craftsmen are called together to build this temple, and they're called, and they're to use their abilities for God. And we see this as a calling from God. If you go on to the next chapter, chapter 32, which Pastor Lerone preached about a few weeks ago, uh, you'll see that some of these same craftsmen, they immediately then afterwards built an idol. So our work can be a calling, but, but it's not automatically a calling. I believe, though, in chapter 31, what we see are three points, three, three components that can help all of our work, our vocation, become a calling, so that all of our work can become a calling. As I was reading through this, that's what struck me, that's what convicted me. That a calling is not reserved for a limited amount of vocations. Full-time ministry is not defined by the function of your work. If you don't preach or you don't teach, that doesn't mean that you're not in full-time ministry. So what makes vocation a calling? What makes your full-time work, what does, how, how does your full-time work turn into full-time ministry? Well, let's look at three points from Exodus chapter 31. The first one is in verses 2 and 3. See, I have called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, son of Hur of the tribe of Judah, and I have filled him with the Spirit of God. The number one condition, the number one condition in order for our calling, for our vocation to become an actual calling, is that we are filled up with the Spirit of God. We are, we are full up, as they'd say, with the Spirit of God. God. Bezalel was a craftsman and Aholiab was a craftsman and, and, and these, these men were gifted in, in woodworking and, and designing things and, and making things. And yet the very first characteristic about this man that God puts before Moses is not, hey, he'd be the best one for this job because he can build it. The very first characteristic that God puts before Moses is he says he, was fi he is filled with the Spirit of God. I've called this man. Why did I call him? It's not just because he's good at this. It's because he is filled with the Spirit of God. Your vocation will not be a calling unless your life is full up with God. Your vocation will not be a calling unless you are filled with the Spirit of God. How does this happen? Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20 tells us, I have been crucified with Christ, therefore I no longer live, but Christ now lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. This text tells us that, that we die and Christ fills us up, he, he lives in us, and it doesn't say Christ only lives within me when I am doing my devotions in the morning, and then I put him aside, and I go off to work, and then I go to church on, on, on a specific day, I go to church on Saturday or Sunday, and, and, and once again, I'm filled up with Christ. No, 
The life I live, in other words, the entire life, my work, everything that I do, is Christ now living in me. Every single day, we must kneel before Jesus and say, my life is not mine. I give it to you, Jesus. Do with it as you please. No matter what your work is, if you're a janitor, if you're a nurse, if you're a doctor, if you're an accountant, whatever it may be, if you're a lawyer, if you're a politician, whatever your job may be, it can still be a calling if you allow God to fill you daily with his spirit, with his presence. I have called Bezalel, the very first characteristic, he's filled with the spirit of God. This means, and I would say this because there's many of us in here, that even those of us that are in the professional clergy, that are in the fields that are often defined by the words of calling and and full-time ministry, we may not actually be living out God's calling in our lives if we ourselves are not also being filled with the Spirit of God. The title, the position, doesn't make you called and doesn't make you a full-time minister. It is only through the power of God filling us that we become fully called, walking in our calling. I remember years and years ago, probably about 12 years ago, I was sitting with a pastor at at a restaurant, and we were sitting across from each other, and we were friends. He was quite a bit older than me, but, um, but we were sitting across from each other, and we were talking about ministry, and I was telling him about how I was, I was excited to be going into this. I was just getting ready to go into my, my first church, and I was excited about doing this and doing that. And you know what he says to me? He said, man, if I could be doing something else right now, I would. He goes, a bunch of people told me when I accepted God that I should be a pastor, and so I became a pastor. And he said, and now I'm just kind of stuck. I wish I had stayed in the medical field. Wow. Does that sound like calling? Does that sound like someone who's being filled up and, and being impassioned with, with, with the power of God on a daily basis? So pastors, we can have the title and, we can, and, and workers of the church, we can have the title and all the things, but we still might not be living out God's calling in our lives. Every single day, doctors, government employees, nurses, carpenters, stay-at-home moms, do you daily say, Jesus, fill me up? If we start to do this, this will start to shift our vocation from just a vocation to a calling. The second component that makes a vocation a a calling, again, we'll read from the scriptures. See, I have called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, and I have filled him with the spirit of God and ability, with ability and intelligence, with knowledge and all craftsmanship, to devise artistic designs, to work in gold, silver, and bronze, in cutting stones for setting and carving wood, Uh, to work in every craft. And behold, I have appointed with him Aholiab, and I have given to all able men ability that they may make all that I have commanded them. The second component to recognize if you're working within God's calling for your life is ability. The ability to actually do that task. The ability, the intelligence, the knowledge to do the vocation, and not just to do it partially, but to do it well so that it can be done for the glory of God. Let everything that we do be done to the glory of God. Ability is a sign of calling. 
James White, one of the founders of the Seventh-day Adventist movement, maybe the most influential individual in our history outside of his wife, said, said this. And listen to this quote. It's pretty, pretty uh, uh, condemning of us as pastors. If a preacher cannot raise up a church, establish the church, in other words, make it strong, and bear fruits, converts, then the church has no need of them as pastors. Man, imagine if that was still applied. If you can't raise up a church, establish it, and reach people for Jesus, we have no need of you. He goes on to say, but if a preacher does these things, it is the truest sign that these individuals are called by God. He says, look, if you look at their abilities and they can't do any of these things, then they're not really called. They're not really called. Just in the back of your mind, you can kind of imagine if we still applied this principle. I won't, don't think about it too hard right now, but just might be a little scary. But it is also true in other fields. God will not call us into something we are not also gifted and empowered to do in such a way that it will bring glory to him. There are doctors that should not be doctors. They don't have good ability. But they, have, they like the money. They should not be in that field. There are teachers that should not be teachers. They don't have the ability. But, hey, it works. They did it. God, God will, will, will connect that, that feeling of our spirit with our ability. In the course of ministry, I've known people who love to sing. I've known people who want to sing. I know people who believe their calling is to sing. There's just one problem. They can't sing. And everyone else seems to know it but them. In 1 Chronicles chapter 15 and verse 22, the Bible states this. The Bible says, make Chaniah the leader of the Levites in music. He should direct the music, for he understands it. Other versions say, for he is skillful at it. In other words, God said, we should call that person. Filled with the Holy Spirit, filled with the power of God, and also because they have skill and ability in that area. Are you in a vocation where you are using your abilities to the glory of God. How does a vocation become a calling? We are filled with the Spirit of God. We're surrendered to Jesus daily. And then we recognize that we are skilled to do this job, maybe like, unlike anyone else. And when we do that job, people see and glorify God because of what has happened. That is in any career field. You know, the Bible speaks of, of calling people to clean and care for the utensils in the temple, to wash and clean those. Wow, a job of cleaning and keeping things was something that God said we need to delineate and make sure we have the right people in these positions. Being organized is a calling of God. That's, that's amazing. But it absolutely is. You might have been going through this career and you're thinking, man, I wish I, wish I had a calling. Maybe your career is your calling, you just haven't seen it that way because you haven't seen it through the eyes of God and as God sees it. And as God will use you. We surrender to God daily. We're filled up with the Spirit of God. And we realize that he matches our abilities to bring glory to him in whatever scope or, or realm we're in. And then the third and final com component that makes a vocation of calling, a calling. 
the third and final component that makes vocation a calling. We do whatever God commands us to do. The Bible says, And behold, I have appointed with him Oholiab, the son of Ahishamach, of the tribe of Dan, and I have given to all able men ability that they may make all that I have commanded you. And then verse 11, verse B, According to all that I commanded you, they shall do. If I work in the government or in the church or in a restaurant or in a school or in, a, or in an office building somewhere and I am asked to do something that I know is against God's commands and I am willing to do it, then I am not living within the calling of God. In like manner, if I'm, if I'm at a, one of these workplaces and, and God calls me to do something and I'm unwilling to do it, I'm not living within the call of God. Are we willing to make those hard decisions? If God commands me to do something and I'm unwilling because of fear or repercussions or unpopularity, then I am living outside of God's calling on my vocation. If God says, you know what, that is not something you should be doing, but I say, this is convenient, this is what I know, this is, this is where I'm making good money, then I'm stepping outside of God's calling in, in my life. I've mentioned to the, this to you before, but I'll mention it again. When I was working as a, as a server, and I was serving at a, at a restaurant, at a Mexican restaurant, and when you go in as a server, you always get these side um, orders that you have to do. You walk in, and back in my day, there was a cassette tape player, and you press the, you'd have to rewind it and then press play. Any testimony of cassette tape players in here? Rewind is this button, younger folk, and you press. Anyways, so you'd have to rewind it and press play, and it would play, and, and they, it was always instructions from the manager about certain things that you'd have to do. And 99.9% .9 of the time, they weren't healthy. Uh, you know when those people come by and they say to you, oh, this is really good? 99% of the time, they don't even know if it's really good. They don't actually care about you or your taste buds. Sorry, I just got to be honest with you. We're just trying to sell more of it, because if you sell enough of it, you get a bonus. That's really the thing. And so we press that button, go in there, rewind that tape, press that button, and it says, today we want you to make sure everyone knows that there's a two-for-one deal on drafts, which is beer. Uh, or we want you to, 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 to upsell our, and the word is upsell, that's what we do, so we upsell. Upsell uh, um, margaritas. So if someone asks for water, what do you say? You sure you don't want a margarita? No, just water, please. Okay, well, we have a special on the margaritas today there, too. This is, what, this is what they tell you to do. And I'm working in a restaurant, and this is what they tell you to do, and this is what you do. You do your thing, and then one day God just convicts me and says, I don't want you to be selling alcohol. Why are you doing this? You know that alcohol is not good for people. Why are you trying to encourage the consumption of this? And I was in that moment, am I going to, to, to do what God asks or not? Well, I decided that I was going to do what God asked. My sales started going down. Eventually I left that restaurant and that thing and I started working at Super Salad for two thirteen an hour and $1 tip from Christians after church on Sundays. Um, it was really, I went from like $200 tips in a day sometimes to $2 of tips in a day. Nothing like working for six hours and going home with four bucks, you know, or whatever it may be. But the point is, is we have to be willing to do what God commands us, even if it is unpopular, even if it is, it is inconvenient. And we have to stay away from the things that God commands us, not 
to do. Even if sometimes those things are that people within the church thinks we think we should be doing, and God's saying, no, that's not what I've called you to do. Three components that can make our vocation a calling, or the lack of them can remove God's calling from our vocation. First thing is be filled with the Spirit of God daily. If we start to do this, then we will see every aspect of our lives as a calling and a ministry for God. Work to the fullness and in the fullness of the ability God has given you. Don't do a job just for the sake of doing a job, but do it to the fullest of your ability so that God receives glory and honor and praise and so that when people see what you're doing, they say, man, that person does things differently. Be willing to do what God commands you even if it is not popular or accepted by others. Even if it's not popular or accepted by others, even within the church. How does vocation become a calling? Filled with spirit, combined with our abilities, and willing to do whatever God commands us and avoiding whatever God commands us not to do. It's a basic element to make all of our work equal and a religious work within the eyes of God. I'll close with a story. Not too long ago, I got to spend a little bit of time with a good friend of mine. Jason and I actually were both friends with him, and we got to go spend a little bit of time with him, and we went to his concert in Virginia. And uh, we'll call this friend of mine Josh, because that's his name, Josh. And, uh, and to give you a little context about Josh, uh, Josh has played music with uh, Bob Dylan. Any of you heard of Bob Dylan? Some of you? The answer, my friend. Yeah. Okay. So you know that song, some of you. Younger people, again, are like, what? Maybe not. Uh, some others may know another name that he's played with, Keith Urban. Keith Urban is uh, one of the top country musicians in the, in the world. I looked online. He was, he's number 36 all time in uh, record sales uh, in the world. So that's a pretty big. You think of all the musicians, country singers, all time, 36. Some of you may know uh, someone he's married to, Nicole Kidman. She used to be married to this guy named Tom Cruise. Some of you may know that. That might give you better context there. But this is, this is my friend Josh, and, and Josh has done music with all these people. He's won four ARIA awards, which is the Grammys of Australia, uh, from what I'm told. He has two platinum albums. He, ha- uh, two, uh, he has a double platinum album. He has a single platinum album. He has a gold album. He's been nominated for another, he's won four, as I said, ARIA Awards. He's been nominated for another 12 ARIA Awards. And if you go to Australia on certain radio stations, you will hear his voice and songs on the radio. All that said, a little over a decade or so ago, when after a a sound check at the Sydney Opera House, he was there with his band uh, at the Sydney Opera House, and they were doing a sound check, he saw an advertisement for some meetings that were taking place nearby. So he decided to go in and to... Uh, see what these meetings were all about. And he spent the next many nights listening to someone, probably many of you have heard of, David Asherick. He sat in the back and he was listening to David Asherick. And by the end of those meetings, he made the decision to attend the Arise uh, Bible School here in the United States. He accepted Jesus and he is now today a baptized and fully committed follower of Jesus and faithful member of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. There was just one problem. There was just one problem. When he became an Adventist, a lot of his new Christian companions told him that he had to give up all of his music stuff, 
He could do it in church, but he couldn't do it the way he had been previously doing it. He had to leave the band that he had been part of at that time for nearly 20 years. And they told him, and I was in rooms where I heard people say this, you need to go into full-time ministry. This is God's calling for you. You need to go into full-time ministry. And my friend struggled with this pressure that he was getting because he felt that God wanted him to stay with his band and to be a witness in this world. He recognized that, that, that there weren't very many people that believed like him and thought like him and, and, and worked like him within the world in which he worked and lived. The majority of his fellow Christians, though, didn't see that as a legitimate option. And there were some that said, you know, if you don't do this, you're turning your back on God. And he would go to churches to do concerts. He would go to churches to do some concerts. And he told me, he said, you know what, Chad, when I go to these churches to do concerts, you know who I'm singing to? Other Christians. They don't bring anybody. I'm just singing all the time to, to other Christians. But a few of us, David Ashrick, myself, some others, we said, man, you should listen to God over man. You need to really pray about this, but you need to listen to God over man. And God has a calling for you. God has a calling for you and has given you the opportunity, I told him, to do full-time ministry in the world the rest of us will never even have a chance to approach. So although it is unpopular with some of the larger Adventist world and although he's lost friendships and relationships because of his choice, and some have even said he's dishonoring God and resisting God, my friend decided to stay with his band after a couple years. He went back to his band. And let me tell you what has, has happened. You remember I said that he's toured with uh, Keith Urban and played music with Keith Urban. How many of us have had the opportunity to pray with Keith Urban or to give Keith Urban a, a Bible? Not many of us. His band no longer plays songs he's not comfortable with. They no longer play any Friday nights or Sabbaths at all. In fact, they don't even travel. He goes to church. He finds churches and he goes to church on Sabbath. Now, when he tells me some of the stories about some of those churches, we need to pray sometimes. <laughs> he looks. He's got this grisly thing. So he probably looks weird. He'd walk in here and probably look a little weird. Won't even do sound check nothing on, on, on Sabbath. He's, he believes in honoring this. He believes in being a witness. In 2011, they had an album that they released, and it featured two songs, two songs he'd actually written when he was working uh, with me at my church for a little while in our church plant in Central California, trying to decide what God was calling him to do. And one of those songs is the title track of the album. It's a single that is played on the radio over there. It's called Temptation. And listen to the bit of the lyrics of these songs. Temptation, temptation, flee from me, devil, flee. For I am walking on the narrow way, and I have no need of thee. Forty days and nights in the wilderness, Jesus hungered there, and the devil said, make these stones be bread, if you are who you say you are. Jesus said, get behind me, Satan, for it was written long ago, man shall live by the word of God and the word of God alone. This song is a title track. It was nominated for an ARIA award. It's played on secular radio, and the entire song is about how the only way to resist temptation is through the Word of God. Through the Word of God. 
Or what about this? See if you recognize any of this. Well, the hour has come and the judgment has begun. Courtesans on the thrones that have been cast down. And when those books are read and the sanctuary is cleansed, then the Lord shall put on his kingly robe and crown. And the saints will be singing that song of Moses and the Lamb. I see the Savior coming with a sickle in his right hand, saying, let the holy be holy still. Saints will be singing that song of Moses and the Lamb. Well, I heard a cry echo through the midnight sky. The hour of his judgment has now come. Come out of her, they say, lest he's sharing all her fates. Don't be drunken with the wine of Babylon. Oh, the saints will be singing that song of Moses and the Lamb. A little bit of familiar language there. My friend surrenders to Jesus daily. He has this amazing ability that God has given him. And he's using it to reach others. And through it all, he'll only do what God commands him to do. And he will not compromise. And his bandmates have seen, have seen his integrity. And they have honored that. Imagine being a group. This is your life. This is your, your, your function. And you don't do any Sabbath or Friday night shows. You go to a folk festival, what's the prime day you want to be on the stage? Friday night, Sabbath, won't do it. Put us on Thursday, put us on Sunday. That's who they are. I got a text after we had visited with him just uh, not too long ago because one of his bandmates came out and began to talk with us. He sent me a text later. He said, Chad, I loved everything about seeing you last night, but most of all, when one of my mates will sit and feels comfortable enough to talk about Christianity and not think the people are odd. And we had this whole long conversation about it, about the, with this lady that would never ever happen. Would never happen. His bandmates, they go to church with him at David Ashrick's church in Australia. Would this ever happen if he had said, you know what? Unless I'm in full-time ministry, as the church describes it. Some say it's not a calling. Some say it's not full-time ministry, but I would disagree. Is your vocation a calling? Surrender daily to God. Use your God-given abilities to their utmost. And do all that God has commanded, no matter what others may say or think, maybe even those within the church. Now this is always scary. As I'm a parent, it gets scarier. Because I want to say to my kids, this is it. This is, this is the defined parameters. But at some level, at some point, we have to trust the power of the Holy Spirit. That if someone's surrendering their life daily to God, if they're using their abilities to glorify God, and if they're not doing anything outside of his commands, we've got to trust that God is going to protect and to take care. What if all of us left this place and began to see our vocation as our calling? How would our world, how would our lives, how would our homes, how would our workplaces, how would the sense of why we exist change? Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for the calling you put on all our lives. Lord, and sometimes we fail to see it because it's not, 
what the church, what history, what tradition has defined as calling. But Lord, we know that you have a calling for all of us and that, that, that there is no position that is more holy than another. The holiness comes from being surrendered to you daily, from using our abilities to give glory to your name in whatever sphere we're in, and from a willing, for a willingness to do all that you have commanded, no matter the opposition. Lord, help us to walk in that type of vocation so that it can truly be our calling from you. In your name we pray, amen.